When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're up, Pat. I just want to say, I, I, you've you've crippled me. You've collectively crippled me. Um, <laughs> you were talking when I was still talking. Because something comes into my head, I can't control myself. <laughs> I, I, it's like I have like that's it like in a, a nutshell. I, I don't know what to do, and I get confused, and I get an idea, and it just runs out of my head. You just black out. I black out. I go into like an ecstasy, and it just comes out. But I don't even should I talk? Should I say what I was going to say? Yes, please. Yes. I I think Ro, see Ro, you you think see, but I gotta say something. Why you don't get it? You think I'm jumping in because I want to cut off what you want to say. I'm trying to support what you want to say because you made such a great point. I wanted to push it up, so I was trying to push it up, and then I got told to shut up. So I'll shut up. Oh, but thank I'm just you, sir. But if you could be so kind as to just wait until I'm finished speaking. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you know, you you. I, I don't know how. I don't know what to do. I'm gonna go back into a. Wait, cage. Pat. I want to hear what you have to say. No, no. now we gotta beg. I, I, I know. Now so, you gotta beg him. I, I, I know. Think- That you're born an Italian If you want your life to be great See that you're born an Italiano And your life will be great From the moment you're a small bambino You eat pizza, you drink vino Then they make you roly-poly you get stuffed with ravioli. If your mama's a paisano, you will have the world on a plate. So see that you're born in Italiano and your life will be great. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Italian American Podcast. I'm John Viola and happy to be with you today from the bunker. And we've got almost the whole family back on board today. I'm here with Dolores, Rosella, and Pat. And we've got a very exciting topic to talk about and one that many of you who have been loyal listeners for a long time have heard a little bit about. If you're part of our new neighborhood or you follow us on social media, uh, it's the eminent launch of Dolores' newest project. So Dolores, first of all, welcome back. And why don't you tell us a little bit about what you're doing? Thanks. Hi. Um, this is funny. I'm like trying to take it seriously, but it's awkward to be like the kind of guest, but not the guest, you know, usually we're asking other people questions. Yeah, we'll, we'll make it normal. Um, yes. Yeah, so I am, uh, I've launched my new podcast uh, titled Bella Figura, the tradition of living beautifully. And one of the main reasons we thought we would talk about it on the Italian American podcast is because basically the whole impetus for the show came from the audience of this podcast of the Italian American podcast in the years that Anthony and I were doing the show alone, especially, you know, every now and then Anthony and I would do a solo show. And I noticed that the solo shows that I chose because they were just more in line with my interests and, and uh, tastes or things I wanted to know more about. 
I just got um, a lot of emails from people, a lot of comments, and I just noticed that people really liked the topics. So little by little over time, it's taken me a while to get to this point. It's definitely a slow build behind the scenes. It's our first spinoff show. And I think that this audience, uh, I know this audience is going to be interested in a lot of the topics that Bella Fibura covers. I mean, it's really exciting that you get to do something like this, because I think for all of us, uh, it's easy to see how much fun we have. I mean, we've been recording for 45 minutes and we just started talking. <laughs> we just started the show, right? So right. Yeah. everybody out there listening, there's 45 minutes of lost audio that you'll never get to hear of just us catching up. But like getting to do a show like this about a topic that we all love, A, you get to spend so much time with your friends and B, you get to meet all these interesting people and talk about something that you care about. But it's also nice to reveal the other side of yourself or another side of yourself, you know, so many facets to each of us. And Oh yeah, that's well said. Yeah, yeah. to do something different. I think for sure that those solo episodes were almost without my knowing, like I just like, dipping my toe in the waters of that, of revealing different sides of myself. I am obviously a very proud Italian American and my heritage is a huge part of my life, but it's not the only part of my life. And there are a lot of other things that I love to talk about and I love to talk to other people about that I did sometimes feel didn't fit in the IAP mold. Yeah. And um, I was often trying to just kind of find a way of like, how can I insert, you know, talking about health and fitness into the Italian American podcast? And sometimes I would and people, I would get great responses, but definitely this show is a way for me to do that. But it's still very much grounded in the person that all of you have gotten to know over the years and, all, and my interests and my passions. I don't think anybody who's been listening to IEP is going to listen to Bella Figura and be surprised, really. I mean, it doesn't hurt that the title's in Italian, right? No, ex- and I, that was done very consciously on purpose, yes, to kind of keep my roots and say, you know, this is my, as so much of my life is, my heritage is my entrance point into this conversation. What I really wanted to do was talk about a lot of the things we talk about on this show, but with a wider audience of not just Italian-Americans. I wanted to talk to people of various cultures and and ethnic backgrounds about a lot of the same themes that come up in this show. I mean, it's a a difference between ethnography and ethnology, right? Like in in what we're doing is examining one culture very, very specifically. It's almost like living amongst the tribe, quote unquote. But then there's also sort of the comparative version where you go out into the world and see how different cultures impact one another, where there are similarities, where there are differences, what are universal themes. And sometimes it's nice to talk about the same stuff we're passionate about, but in a sense of a sort of universal theme or something that approaches a universal theme and not so myopically in how it affects or how it's lived in our community. That's exactly right. Which is which? So ethnology is the comparative study of two or more cultures. Ethnography, you're studying one culture as, as a participant observer. So I guess what you're doing is a little bit more ethnology. Ethnology, yes. Yeah, okay, I didn't know that. Thank yeah. you. That's yeah, good to have a, a name Not easy for to remember. It. No, <laughs> I probably forget before we even hang up. But yes, no, I like that. And yeah, it's really been nice to talk to, um, you know, for instance, one of my guests, Alicia Jo Rabins, is Jewish. And she's very, very connected to her culture, her religious culture. And it's a big part of her heritage. And she is a 
musician and an award-winning poet. And I loved having the conversation I had with her because we ended up really being the same when it comes to our heritage. We're both very passionate about it. It influences the way we raise our children, the way we have relationships, the way we worship, you know, our spirituality. And it defines us so, in so many ways. It comes out in our art, but we come from two totally different uh, ancestral backgrounds, but there is so much overlap. And so my hope in these conversations is that really we can all learn from each other and also see in a lot of ways how these themes that go back to our ancestors and back to our roots tend to be pretty common. Yeah. Which may mean that they're very true. It's like anthropology 101. You get like a couple of stock lessons. And I think one of the first ones is that, for example, the flood myth, right? And in, in Western Judeo-Christianity, our flood myth is Noah's Ark, but every yeah. culture has a foundational flood myth, you know? Right. And mm -hmm. I'm not that I'm calling Noah's Ark a myth. I'm just saying that- well, the, the, the argument is that everybody has a flood myth because there was a flood. Yeah, exactly. And everybody had to kind of explain <laughs> it. Yeah. So the counter argument is that, like, I'm just saying like, there's the argument that, okay, there's a flood myth, so everyone came up with the same myth, or was there a flood that's way back when, and there's a common- communal memory of it yeah and, I, and I, I think it's important to point out i'm not using the term myth to mean falsehood oh yeah, I mean, yeah but I'm, saying, I'm just saying yeah. for the sake of you know this is why this is the fresh air of a time america he doesn't want to get kicked out of the church <laughs> no i don't <laughs> no, no 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 wait well hold on hold on i think it's extremely important that you have to balance it so you have to say okay if there's a collective myth if everyone's coming up with this same foundational story there's something to it yeah. Exactly. That our shared exactly. common experiences as humanity, that there's a common root. Our ancestry, you know, like I say all the time, you know, we were Greek before we were Italian. And the Greeks have been in Italy about 3,000 years in the south of Italy. So the Maloikia, which is the concept of the evil eye, was brought by the Greeks to the south of Italy. And it's really amazing after 3,000 years that the southern Italy concept of the evil eye and the Greek one is basically the same. So it shows that there was a common root to the story. Yeah. That's why I think that these studies are important and these conversations are important. Exactly. That's well said. I can totally appreciate what Pat's saying and also what Dolores is saying because like as two women who are very, very different it, when it comes to many different beliefs and like lifestyle choices, uh, I think Dolores and I are able to come together on the common ground and that we both are Italian Americans were very proud with this very traditional background. So it's okay that we live our lives a little differently, but there is this common thread that ties us together. So it's kind of like you're in this big Italian family. There are those relatives that like you don't necessarily agree with, you know, at a Christmas dinner and like one of them starts talking about politics and then you're like, I gotta go. But then, you know, <laughs> You can't, you can't divorce your family in a certain way. And like, I, I don't think it's really possible for you to divorce someone that is Italian American the way we are Italian American. I also want to point out that, you know, being first generation Italian American is a very different viewpoint than once you're already two or three generations removed. It's a way of life. And I think Dolores has a very acute insight into um, how she was raised that I feel a lot of people can't necessarily articulate well. So if you do follow her on Instagram, um, you can read these really thoughtful 
uh, really insightful posts about what it was like to grow up in a kind of family the way that uh, she and I both did. But I think it really gives you uh, a really great look into what that kind of lifestyle is like and how it's so complex and it's so complicated. And it is this melange of faith and family and trying to live modernly and trying to be traditional constantly. And it can be a struggle sometimes. It's not always perfect, but um, I think she really captures all those things very well. Thanks, Ro. And thanks for reading my posts. You clearly read them. (laughs) (laughs) That comment shows me you read them. That was sweet. I read all the posts. Ro, are you emphasizing the differences between you and Dolores because she still won't come around on Moonstruck? That is, a, that is a big, a big part. I think. <laughs> Laura's owes Instagram and IAP community a dedicated, thoughtfully written post on the film Moonstruck. <laughs> God, Lord, Lord, help me. Especially after I read the rest of her top movie picks, and you know, Goodfellas is a less offensive movie than Moonstruck is. <laughs> I'm, I'm an enigma. I don't know what to say. It's very strange. Ro brought up a brilliant point, mm-hmm. and I want to expand on. You said that the first generation makes a huge difference, and I'm going to agree with that, but I want to take a twist on it. I'm first-generation American because my father came from Ireland when he was 17 years old, so I'm first-generation on that end. And I feel um, your parents are a little bit younger, Ro, but I think maybe with your grandmother and Dolores' parents, because my parents and Dolores' parents are basically the same age, a guy I know who immigrated from Italy at the same time, who's in his mid, late 70s, said to me, I am one of the last people to have grown up in a medieval world. Wow. Mm-hmm. And I think that our parents had a collective experience of a non-evolved world. It was completely non-evolved. America was an evolved world, and Europe was non-evolved in this sense. My father's first cousin who came here when he did, I asked him one time, I said to him, when you came from Ireland, what was the, what was the thing that gave you the biggest impression? And I thought it was going to be kind of basically what I heard from my aunts and stuff like big buildings and different kind of people and stuff like that. And he said to me, people said, please and thank you. Uh. What? He goes, well, I got it. He, he did like, um, he was a bricklayer in Ireland. He said that he came to work in America and he was basically guess, doing the same work he did in Ireland. And the guy he was working for said, like, can you please hand me the trowel? And he was stunned. And he said, no one that you ever worked for in Ireland would ever say please. Because if they were paying you, they were a class above mm. you. They were mm. superior to you. And to ask you, please, would have put them on the same level as you. Wow. And he was blown away by that American egalitarianism. And I think that if you talk to people who grew up in Poland in, in Europe right after the war, you know, in the, in the years, I guess, before 19, the late 60s, they were the glass kids who saw a medieval world, that, which was quasi-feudal. It had a feudal mentality. So I think that your experience can be shared because there's people who are not Italian-American, but their parents had a very similar upbringing in a feudal world because the south of Italy was a feudal world up until the late 60s, and it trickled off. But the Italian-Americans, they might have had the pot of gravy on Sunday, but people said, please and thank you. So I think that that's a big part of what Dolores is bridging is that we're the children of the last people who lived in, in a medieval feudal world. Wow, I've never thought about it that way, but that's very true. And, and I, or it resonates, you know, I've been thinking a lot lately about 
the way I was raised and the values I was raised with. I wrote this post about my father and the things that he taught me. And I got so many messages and comments from that that really hit people. But I, I've, it made me just start thinking a lot about being raised with these kind of old school values. And sometimes the older I get, the less, um, I don't want to say the less I appreciate them. That's not true. Like I've always been proud to have been raised that way. But it seems the older I get, the more those values actually cause me pain hmm. because they are so, they are in such opposition to the world I'm actually living in. I, I can totally appreciate that. Is that right? Can you? Yes. Because, you know, thinking about that a lot lately. I feel like, I don't know, I, I'm stuck in the house. I want to preface this. And TV is my only friend. TV raised me. <laughs> uh, Same. I, I could grow up in the house, the full house, <laughs> and stuff. And like, uh, you know, my dad and Danny Tanner were two just very different men. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. So uh, I, I've, I've grown up very confused by television at times. But now I've been watching like my brilliant friend and, and to, to really see the values of Southern Italy in the 1960s and how hard those women, you know, how hard of a time those women had living in that world. And now looking at that, at that struggle through a 2020 lens, through a year 2020 lens, it's like, oh my God, but you guys didn't know how friggin' lucky you had. <laughs> like, <laughs> in a lot of ways, you know, I, I'm grateful for all the things that we're able to do and, and, um, and a lot of the restrictions that we don't have in our lives and expectations that we don't necessarily have in our lives. But I think the constant struggle is, are we necessarily better off without mm. a lot of those things? Right, right. I think a lot of that is also you could talk about the immigrant experience, but you can also talk about where we are in the last, let's say 50 years, but even more so the last 30 to 40 years, because the thing about America, and I have this conversation all the time, right? We're talking about ethnicity because this is an ethnic show, but what Dolores's whole proposition, I think a part of it is there's some things that I've gotten passed along to me completely osmosmatically through culture, family values, whatever you want. And you have to be very inward looking to analyze even what they are and how they impact your life sometimes because you can take them for granted. And I think that the last 50 years, the sort of post-war world, particularly the last 30 years, the post-Cold War world, where American culture has become through American hegemony, but also through the advent of new media – it's become so truly global. And our country, I always talk about this, the idea of a nation state, right? In many cases, particularly in the 18th century to today, post-French Revolution, the idea of your country was defined by taking a nation of people, right? A nation is a people who share a language, a culture, values, whatever, and building a state around it, the form of government. So that's why we have the nation state. And Italy is the perfect example because it was multiple states merged into one state on the idea that they were a shared nation because they shared an italic language and culture and this and that. America is really the first state in the world that was not built on that idea. It was built on a design around basically the individual. And frankly, we use the word nation, but we really haven't forged 
a nationalized identity out of it. We, we are a patchwork of many identities. And I think as American culture and consciousness becomes so much the global standard through entertainment and all these mediums, people are becoming so much more individualized than they've ever been. And this idea of a country based on, you know, we're going to set up ideals, you're going to work hard, you're going to reach for them. If it doesn't work here, pack up your stuff, go out west, you know, do this thing in a new place is so counter to that same millennium old feudal values-based mindset, tradition-based mindset that is passed on even without you knowing it. So that whole ramble is to say, I think it's becoming increasingly important in the world for people to take a pause and look back on the things that we inherit that define us with the real analytical bent. Because if we don't, not only are we going to lose them, we're going to lose a lot of their effects on us without even realizing it was there. Yeah, that was wonderfully said. I mean, you just summed up absolutely a lot of what this new show is about and why and the why of it. And I think also just to kind of jump back again to what Rose said and tie it in, I think if there's anything my experience as a first generation daughter of Italian immigrants can offer, it's something that a lot of people are missing because they have been in this country for so many generations. You know, they're so removed from their ancestral source. Maybe yeah. it was their great-grandparents or even their great-great-grandparents. Or maybe it was even their parents, but their parents wanted to be so American or were taught they, they need to be so American that they never learned the language, they never learned the traditions, and they feel something's missing. So if I can offer anything, I think it's that, being so close to the source. But... One of the biggest traits I would say that America has, or if there is a zeitgeist, if there is a spirit that connects us as Americans, it really is individuality. Yeah. You know, it, that's it. It's uh, like I posted something today on Instagram about the myth of the self-made man and how that's a really big myth in our culture and nobody is self-made. You know, even the most successful person had people before him or her that did things that got that person to a position to then become so successful. Yeah. I know that Forbes like uses that term to mean, did you have finances? Right. Right. <laughs> but popular culture doesn't. We think of it more as a emotional, spiritual quest. Well, America is, is sort of obsessed with the Cinderella story, with the rags to riches. Yes. Story. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I mean, what does that even mean? I think that that concept has gotten so diluted over time. Like with Steve Jobs, a rags to riches story. I don't know. I mean, uh, there was the girl who started Spanx, a rags to riches story is my success story. You know, I had right. things and resources that other people did not have. So, right. uh, you know, Right. People want to to have that label, like self-made, you know, yeah. build myself up. And, you know, nobody really understands what that means anymore. Right. You know, America, the, co the concepts of success in America try to be very black and white when nothing is black and white. Everything is so extremely gray. Exactly. And it's more in our Italian-American culture, but as Pat was saying, in many cultures across the board that... Once upon a time before we came to America, and, def and even if we were here before we were so assimilated, the importance of the tribe, the importance of ancestors, the importance of tradition, of ritual, these things 
really mattered. Yeah. And they are what kept us alive. So much of it was a concept of tribe. Yeah. Exactly. Which is loss right now. You know what's so hard about trying to assert your Italian American identity today is that we are essentially holding on desperately. I mean, when I say we, I mean people like you and I, Dolores, who care deeply about these things, and especially being women, being women who are mo- who are wives, who are mothers, who want to be mothers one day. Um, we are holding on to something that doesn't exist anymore in Italy. In Italy, they're like, we've moved past this, and it's not really our speed anymore. And we're kind of our own thing over here. We're our own tribe over here. So, you know, I don't think I came to realize it until uh, maybe a couple years ago uh, after, you know, I've been doing what I've been doing for the better part of a decade that I was always so, so about being Italian, being Italian, being Italian. Oh, I'm I'm more Italian because, you know, uh, my parents got here later than your parents. And then I think I had a big aha moment and realized I'm not Italian. Mm. And, and, uh, you know, I'm too Italian for Americans and I'm too American for Italians, but I am this first generation Italian American. Right. And, um, as an Italian American woman, you know, both of us just got married. Dolores is now a new mother. I think it's really, it must be really hard to, you know, incorporate these traditional old school things that many people write off as being silly and unnecessary and just, you know, superstition stuff that we do. Right. And how hard it is to sometimes have to make unpopular choices or unpopular decisions. But what we do now by starting things like our podcast, by your podcast, by Bella Figura, by talking about it, is starting a conversation. And I think the biggest thing that we can do is make people that share these views not feel like they're alone. Exactly, Ro. That's exactly what the aim of the show is, is to say, not only are these traditions important, they are vital. And let's have a conversation and build a community of people who feel like something's missing because they're no longer connected to those traditions and they want them back. Or even people like me and you who are connected to these traditions, but we want to learn more about other people's traditions, or we want to learn more about how to incorporate and grow what we already are doing. I think that the role brings up a great point. The Italians in Italy look on the Americans that were dated because we're a photo, we're a photo of their past, right? Mm-hmm. And like, you know, what they say, when you take, when you take a, a picture of a black hole, it's like, it's, you're taking, or, or a star, it's, the, the light is very old, but it takes so long to travel, it's old by the time we see it. I think that for those of us with the immigrant experience, we had parents who grew up in a medieval world, and we're the fumes of that medieval world, because if they went back to live in the country they left 50, 60 years ago, it's a completely different universe. And we're like an image to those people of the past. But the reason why I think it is the conversation that no one's having is that the kids in Italy are different because they're not Italians. They're globals. This is the first global generation. They're global. If you take any kid that's born 2000, 2001, it's 100% a global generation. And I think so much of what's going on in Europe and around the world, the concept of us tribe, nation state, is because you're being sucked into a, a global world, and yet you have a desire for self-identity in the tribe you grew up in. 
And I think it's not going to play out with us. It's going to play out with that generation that's born about 2000. They're going to have to determine what makes us global, what makes us international. Because, I mean, think about this. This is the first time, really, the whole world is experiencing a collective tragedy in real time together. And this is going to shape us as an entire world community that we all went through this. And it's not going to be like World War II where you had German kids who had one experience, Japanese kids, we were enemies. It's going to be a whole, I think it's this, this pandemic is a foreshadowing of a one world community. And there's nothing you can do about it because what kept us separated, what, what made languages evolve, that people speak differently, is that people were separated over time and things evolved differently. What's changing is now the world is so interconnected that the reverse is happening. I think that part of what Dolores is saying here also is like, if you take out the lens of one ethnicity and look at an evolving world and where it has room for what it's gained from its past, in some ways, the way that the world is evolving is better situated for an appreciation of culture and locality. And it doesn't really tie to where you are. I mean, about 10 years ago, maybe more, there was the book Bolding Alone and it was talking about the death. I read that. Yeah. It's a great mm-hmm. book. I mean, it talks about like the death of bowling leagues and how people are individually driven. But now, tribe is a big word for me and a concept that I love. I found this podcast because Dolores and Anthony reached out to me when I was at NIAF and we became friends and I loved what they were doing. The only other podcast that I listened to before that was about pro wrestling because I'm a pro wrestling fan, or I used to be. And I actually think there's a lot of similarities in an ethnic identity and something that you're passionate about. And so what I'm getting to is I look at how people relate nowadays to their fandom, these things that you can select to put on. And yeah, there's no more bowling leagues because people aren't meeting every Wednesday night to go bowling with their buddies from the factory and people are working different hours and blah, blah, blah. But go to WrestleMania and go to their wrestling convention or go to the comic convention in San Diego or go to Disney convention or or any of these uh, conventions, fairs, expos, whatever. And, you know, who's in costume contests and people have their own language of the content that they know about so it's not a it's not a separate language but it's a separate glossary go to any of these kind of things and see how people engage go go to major league baseball all-star weekend or the super bowl people still have tribes they just select them nowadays and exactly that's the yeah, difference people still have religion because if you listen if you if saint thomas aquinas right and one of his arguments for religion is that people naturally have a desire for religion right? They have a desire. Now, if you take a country that's become very secularized, like, like the UK, their religion has become soccer because they try to fill, and I'm not saying everyone, but if you look at some, they try to fill that void, that need with not a transcendental, deistic, theistic spirituality, but with this collective feeling of us and this kind of reverence for the team and we're part of a team and the, the other team we hate and they're almost as if they were heretics. I think there's, there's a lot of that in there. Yeah. But I think the big concept here is how do we reconcile the modern and the medieval world into our condition? Because one of the mistakes in 1968 was 1968 said that everything old was stupid. Right, the, the, the revolutions of the late 60s. The, whole, the old world is just dumb. Um, the old world created terrible things like the Holocaust and World War II. And we are going to remake the world. We're going to sit down to smart people because we're the ones who really deserve a place at the table. 
smart people are going to sit around a table and create a whole new world. And that's where the housing project came from. Yeah. That's urban renewal. We're going to make the perfect house. And that's urban renewal fell apart. And I talk about it all the time. It's like, if you look at urban renewal, right, which was the tear down the inner city, tear down the neighborhood, put in an interstate highway, build these huge high rises. It was non-organic. So we went against what was manifested because the human condition created what it needed. We needed the village, right? So we lived on stoops and we lived in two or three family houses, four family houses, and you walk down to your butcher and everything else. And the urban planners said, no, 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 we're going to build a huge building of, of 70 apartments and it's going to be sanitary and we're going to get rid of streets. And we're going to have a little green in the middle where you can say, it didn't work. And why didn't it work? Because we try to outsmart our own instincts. <laughs> and I think the same is going to happen here because the millennial, the, 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 I'm fascinated by Generation Z because they're going to have to figure it out. Because we're half of the, 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 the Generation X, at best, we're halfway through our life. We're in middle life. And, and we kind of, we, we were the balancing act. They're the next step. And they're the crowd that, that's into fountain pens. I mean, here they are, a generation that's the most technical generation ever. But when they buy a pen, they buy a fountain pen with technology from the 19th century. Because I feel like a lot of people have replaced the old ways in this rushing quest towards individuality and exploration. People have realized they jettisoned values, traditions, habits, whatever you want to call it that had a reason for existing, like you say, that they're not de novo, you know, the housing project is de novo. It's a, it's an experiment. Everything else was an evolution up until that point. And like, I, I remember might've been last month, maybe the month before my brother sent me an article from David Brooks in the Atlantic about uh, the nuclear family was a mistake and I got it and I exploded. And my brother said, no, no, just be patient, read it, read it, read it. And I read it and it was a fascinating article. It was talking about the evolution in America away from the extended right. family right. and into this idea of like, you know, mom plus right. dad plus 2.5 right. kids equals right. perfection. And that really didn't work when people fled the cities that were mm -hmm. the hotbeds of this tribalism and community. And like Pat says, on the stoop family in the same building, they went out to these very isolated suburban lives looking to create this little nuclear model and it, and it breaks down. And I have to say, like, even my wife and I have been with my parents for most of the quarantine and uh, my brother is down the street and there's something nice about being like an adult married couple, but having your family right there. And I know we've talked about it a lot during the quarantine, but you know, these are old ways that nobody would have ever questioned up until a generation or two ago. Right. It was not abnormal. It was not stupid. It was not backwards. And all of these things have taken on this patina of ignorance and uselessness. And I think our job, in this show, and I think Dolores, what you're doing is to say, wait a minute, hold on, let's understand them. Let's really look at how they affect us. And let's, as we talked about the first day you and I ever met Dolores, when you came to NIAF and we recorded the show, we said, it's not about preserving anything. It's about evolving everything forward. Mm. And that's the big difference. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what the recipe is for this show, what you're planning on doing, what it's going to look like, what it's going to feel like, because we've been talking a lot about this concept, but how are you answering it with the show? Yeah, so everyone's comments, there's there's like a million things that I, I could say in answer to all of them. They're all so, as usual, just like insightful and on point. I think a good dovetail from what everyone kind of just said is my, I think my main entry point and premise for this is, this is a very American show. And one of you, I forget who it was, kind of touched on this. I think it was you, John. Meaning, 
we are the, as you've said before, John, the, you know, like the ember, the, what is it? The insect in the ember holding on to. Yeah, the, in the amber. In the amber. Sorry. I, I think I do that every time I bring that up. <laughs> if we were in the embers. Amber. <laughs> <laughs> the insect in the amber. Picturesque park reference. Exactly. <laughs> that we're, we're holding on to things that are no longer in the ancestral land. And I think as Americans, this is where I see the hunger. So we are all in this country. You, you mentioned like uh, Comic-Con and, you know, the World Wrestling Federation. Everyone's searching for an identity. You know, who am I? What am I? Who am I going to be? And my proposal is, you know, the metaphor, for instance, Dorothy in A Wizard of Oz is, you know, you don't need to look any further than your own backyard. And that's just a proposal. You, there are tons of ways to find yourself and gain strength from that. And this show, Bella Figura, The Tradition of Living Beautifully, proposes that your heritage and your ancestral culture is one way to do that. And all of the conversations basically flourish out of that. And I, the reason I say it's a very American show is because I think, at least at this point, that Americans who do live in a melting pot, we do get assimilated over the years, are probably the most hungry and the most in need for this. Because unless you're Native American, you come from somewhere else originally. Uh, you know, we live in a time where millions of people are giving their DNA freely, yeah. <laughs> which is insane to me, mm -hmm. to find out who they are and where they come from. And I think Ancestry has like three, four million paying customers. These are people who are Ancestry.com who are actively trying to find out their lineage and learn about their ancestors. This is a new thing. I know the technology is new, but I think the hunger is very real. So this show is for those people, basically. You know, the, this this show is for the people who perhaps feel like something is missing and they think that their connection to their culture and their ancestors and their roots is it. This show is for people who know that those things are important and they just want to strengthen them and enrich them and stay connected to them. I have recorded episodes with various different kinds of guests. I've had uh, healers on, like energetic healers, award-winning writers, musicians, mediums, intuitives, really amazing people who are doing all of this, as we've kind of been talking about, you know, old school stuff that a lot of people might think is useless or dead, and they're doing it in like a very modern way a very authentic, very powerful, very modern way. And we're having conversations about awakening those things in your own life. Through my work with the Italian American podcast and just my conversations with people, I've whittled it down to three main topics that I find are reoccurring. And that is the holy, the majesty, and the elemental. So every show is more or less based on at least one of those. And those are the things that keep reoccurring. The holy, of course, refers to our culture's spiritual style. How does your ancestral culture worship? So for us, right, we have like these very thick traditions. It's usually Roman Catholicism. Uh, dream interpretation can be, if you're Southern Italian, a really big part of it. La Madonna is a very big part of it. So all of these traditions. 
the elemental is the values that your culture teaches, these things that are just the most important for you to live by. And then the majesty is your lineage and your family stories. So learning what you're a part of and learning the people who came before you and their stories. I've done a lot of research about the fact that learning our family stories literally strengthens us. It gives us more emotional confidence. It gives us more just uh, confidence overall because we know we belong to something. And that's really in the end what we all want. We want to belong to something and we want to feel that. Yeah, because we're we are tribal animals, right? That's exactly right. I mean, we, we, whether we like to talk, I mean, there's this horrible sense that these kind of things are in, and I think it's a post enlightenment propaganda that these kind of things have to be in combat with science and progress, and it's just not the case. Like, I walked into my, the house, right? Came up to the house. My parents met us here, and my parents got here two days before our quarantine was over, and so we came in, and my mother handed us each a piece of copper. And she said, you know, the, mm-hmm. while this is going on, keep it with you, whatever. My great-grandmother had given her a bunch of copper bracelets, and I received this piece of copper from my mother. And I was like, oh, that's my mom. You know, she's a traditionalist, and it's nice. And I, even I thought it was kind of quaint. And I swear, because, you know, call it God, call it karma, call it the universe, whatever, you always get what's coming to you. Two, three days later, I woke up and what was on the front of my newsfeed, but a whole article on copper's value (laughs) as an antiseptic and copper's disease and virus fighting qualities and this and that. And I thought to myself, that is really kind of perfectly ironic because even I try to be conscious of the value and validity of older beliefs and practices. I can write them off. But here was this like great, you know, right in my face no, you idiot. There's actually right. science behind this. And <laughs> why does science need to be behind it anyway for you to, to buy into it? You know? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Not everything is part of a multi-million dollar study, mm-hmm. you know, by big scientific organizations. We, but we know that these are things that are enduring and that they, they continue to surface and they are at the very least of interest still. And people want to know them and also people need them. And especially having these conversations right now during quarantine, during a pandemic where, you know, we don't really know what's going to happen. We don't, we don't even really know what's happening all the time. You know, science is great. I am, I am an advocate of science, you know, it's, <laughs> it's not one or the other, but science can't answer everything right now. No. And never will be able to, nor can it. I mean, that's... Yeah, but that, that works on the premise that the soul has no, has no, no existence. Right. Yeah. And it's, you know, uh, Mendel, right, one of the fathers of DNA, was playing with uh, peas, right, growing peas in an Austrian Benedictine monastery. He's the founder in the 1850s of the concept of what became DNA. And they act like, okay, well, it's like, it's like almost... Um, counterintuitive that a Benedictine monk would have come up with the concept of DNA. So you're already working on the premise that they're mutually exclusive. So where does that come from? That comes from a prejudice of a scientific community that discounts what they don't comprehend or what they feel that they can't comprehend or what they feel they can't prove. Mm-hmm. Yes. And Pat, you know, you point out like the housing, housing developments as a great, 20th century example of the idea that the new has to replace the old. And obviously when you're talking about physical space, you got to knock down 
buildings to build a new building, but we have this horrible human failing where we don't see things evolving in the river that they are. We see them as this sort of layering replacement. Like I always talk, I always talk about time and society as a flowing river because we can look back on the past episodically, but you can't really access it again, right? It's evolving forward. And as the river flows, it's not like you left a certain section of water in the back of your journey. That water is moving with you. The whole thing is evolving with you. This planet is spinning and growing and changing and aging and evolving together. And we have this sense that everything replaces the old, but it really doesn't, you know, they should be able to coexist and, and build off one another and move forward together. Like I was talking to my parents about illness and ethnicity and this, that, and the other and susceptibility. And I always loved the idea that for many, many years, Italian Americans were the largest advocacy and fundraising group for Cooley's anemia because Mm. we are affected by it so much more than other communities. And we live in a world now where everybody wants to say, like, it doesn't matter where you're born. It doesn't matter your ethnicity. We're all a global world and people are people. Yeah, people are people. When it comes to how you treat people, absolutely, that should be the A1A. People are people. Love thy neighbor. But when it comes to your health, that's why these ancestry DNA tests are so great too, because they're looking at medical stuff. Like your DNA does affect your medical susceptibilities. And I mean, certain diseases are absolutely prime in certain groups. That's real. And so you can't mm-hmm. argue that. Right. And knowing, you know, you take that down to a micro level, right? And you go to a doctor's office, the first thing they ask you, you have to fill out this questionnaire about your genetic family's um, health history. Yeah. Because, you know, that matters. So knowing, knowing physically, scientifically, your family's health history is a real proven thing. Knowing your family's stories, or so another way of saying that is it's emotional history, right? It's episodic history. I would propose and many people have proven and I speak to many people who do work based on this is also very important. A lot of the episodes I've done there is at least a mention of the issue of ancestral trauma or the field of epigenetics, which is a growing one right now, about the science that literally our DNA is affected by trauma that we experience and therefore mutated, if you, if you will. I mean, I'm giving you the non-scientist version and it's passed down to our descendants. So like studies have been done about the descendants of civil war soldiers, the descendants of Holocaust survivors and their descendants' genetics are mutated by their ancestors' experience, if you follow all that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's, it's, it's a spiritual health, you know, it's, it's the same and it's just as important. And it, it makes sense. It's like when we talk about this virus and Pat said on one of the episodes, all of us are the progeny of plague survivors. Yes. I've thought about that a lot since he said that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a great point because mm-hmm. these things, you know, we we talk every week about the qualities and habits and rituals and practices and values of being Italian American. And it's very easy in the context of that conversation to access our history and say, well, you know, we come from this part of Italy and they did things this way. And you know, all of these things you can trace back. And it's easy to do when we talk about our culture, but people forget that there are little things that they have in their life that you don't have to be talking about your ethnicity, your culture to, to access, but they come from somewhere. And then the decisions and habits and practices of the people before you for generation after generation, they whittled down your choose my own adventure book. 
you know, that's, that's <laughs> part of it. And so you're getting this sense in the modern world that it's all open to you and you can be anything you exactly. want. And that's fine. You know, let people do what exactly. they want to do, but don't take for granted that you have all the choices in the world. You don't. That's exactly, I couldn't agree with that more. And also if we want to get really philosophical that all the choices in the world haven't really helped you. Mm -hmm. I mean, today's society is our American society. Again, I posted something about this today is the most depressed, the most anxious, um, the, you know, on pills to treat those things like never before in humanity. So if we want to say that modernity and affluence equate with health, our society is proof that that's not true. Yeah. And longevity and health are different things, right? Because we have all these extensions of longevity, but there's a really holistic health. Right. It's just like everybody woke up one day and had a problem with the inherent knowledge of how your life was going to turn out for some reason. Yeah. When when I would kill for something like that once in a while. <laughs> Meaning knowing knowing what your path was, knowing where your place was. And, right. and the fact that I'm like shuddering to say this sentence, right? It's a not PC. A dirty word or a dirty yeah. concept. But you know, uh Giuseppe in nineteen sixty-two, whatever, his father was a fruit vendor. He was probably gonna be a fruit vendor. He was probably gonna get married by twenty or twenty-five or whatever. Uh, like you know these were the worst things in the world right I mean if he wanted to go to a university and study he was going to have to prove himself and it was going to be hard for him and it was going to be a challenge today we want to tell people that oh you can go to Harvard it won't be a challenge you know that is your right you 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 deserve to go and it's like but why you know (laughs) but we're a society that that has touted for the last 244 years a concept of freedom or liberty that's not married to purpose so why are we free we're free you know i think john paul ii i'm paraphrasing said you know we're free to do the right thing the purpose of freedom is allowing the human to fulfill its purpose in doing good and choosing to do good instead of being forced to do good so if you found duty or the sense of doing good um, a, a will of the creator, a theistic will of God to freedom, then it all makes sense. But freedom to do what you want with no greater purpose is going to leave people empty. Mm. Mm. We have that. We mm. have that. So there's no concept today of vocation. Like you were born to do some good for humanity. So we've taken that away and we've made the greatest good human pleasure. Yep. Bankrupt well soul. So you have, a, you have a world of bankrupted souls. Because the Western world, basing itself on the Enlightenment, has taken this as my personal pleasure is the greatest good. And you know, like, um, it's, so, it's so interesting when the pandemic, when Italy got hit first, someone in Sweden said, uh, we're a country of people that live alone. It's now odd here to live alone, so we don't have to worry about the Italy problem because mm-hmm. we're wow. living alone. Someone in Holland said, we don't live in multiple, it was a politician in Holland said, we don't live in multiple generation families. We don't live with grandparents. We don't have to worry about this problem. So, you know, Italy, their idea was, well, because Italians live the way they do, this is kind of like the comeuppance in there. Wow. And you think about it, for all that Italy went through, with the Italians, with the, the, I, I think, I think I, I, I say this with great conviction, that Italians, in light of all that they've gone through, 
would not sacrifice who they are, living on top of each other, going downstairs, seeing somebody at the bar, talking to their neighbors, with three generations in the same house, wanting to jump off the balcony sometime because <laughs> their family got up a wall. They would rather sink on that ship than survive on a Swedish or a Dutch ocean line. Right. And that's why I'm proud true. of Italy. That's why I'm proud of the Italians because they were willing, they, they took the hit um, because they're a country of, of a family-oriented people. And they're proud of that. And I think the social cohesion of Italy costs its lives. But how much better were the lives of those old Italians who died than the socially isolated people in Sweden and, yeah. and Holland who had nothing to worry about? Yeah. That's a great point. Yeah. Yeah. Or what's, what's the purpose of living if it's not living with people, you know, or in communion with people? You know, we look at our pets and our dogs and we say, oh, you know, this is a tribal animal. And when your dog... Uh, wants to sleep near you at night this is because they're tribal and we forget that you know humans are evolved mammals as well we have tribal habits and we have the need for one another you just you know yeah there are isolated people who are happy to be isolated but we are social beings and we're increasingly told we are not but we are and I think that looking back on that is not only a valid exercise for oneself but like you say, collecting people who feel like something's amiss around a platform. That's what makes this platform perfect. I mean, we all know the, the four of us on here and Anthony, so many people who are listeners or part of our new neighborhood would reach out and talk about how much it means to be able to rediscover what was forgotten or access things. They didn't. I mean, how many questions do we get about traditions or this and that and the other? And then people start to integrate them back into their lives. So the idea of like, exactly. we must do things the exact same way as our ancestors is a culture or an entity in retreat and in defense. And I think what we're saying is we can be a culture on March and going forward and people will be drawn to that. And I think you're doing the same thing here. Yeah, but I think, I, I think that another point is that we, the people on this podcast, this call, however you want to term it, we have the capacity of rebuttal in the sense that the condescension of the Dutch and the Swedes that this is going to be an Italian problem. They're all going to die because, you know, they're all living with their mothers and their grandparents and they're on top of each other and they're in a bar and they kiss and they hug and that's what they're going to kill each other from being on top of each other. That condescension that Italy's beaten up with, even though Italy is the country in the world that they all want to go on vacation to and they all want to cook and has 68% of the, of the UNESCO World Heritage Sites. That condescension, which is really a veiled envy in many senses. Mm. Um, Italians could be bullied because they were called ignorant and their lack of formal education in the sense of a university was what these people held against them. You're just ignorant and because you're ignorant, you're stupid. That's how stupid ignorant people live and we're, we're evolved and evolved people don't live this way. The fact that we are hyper-educated from good schools gives us the capacity to say, you can't hold that over us, us anymore. Mm. You can't tell us, well, I'm smarter than you because I have a degree and you're stupid. And if you were as smart as me and as well-educated, you wouldn't act that way. And we can mm. come back and say, yeah, but we don't have the same hook. I don't want to get into whole things about psycho psycho psychoanalysis and everything else, but we don't have the same needs for the crutches you do because we realize that this system that you've bullied intellectually and verbally and academically, it's a heck of a lot stronger than you let it on to be. And we have, and you can't 
say this to us because we have the same degree that you do. That's yeah, that totally Pat. You're right. There is a, almost like a, a, what did you say? The, the something of rebuttal. What was it? We have the capacity of rebuttal. Capacity of rebuttal. Because yes. We can say, yes. well, okay, you know, uh, we're hyper-educated with doctors. It doesn't make us smaller. It's what you, it's your, it's your New York times barometer of intellectual capacity. Right. So yes. I have to sit there with a multiplicity of advanced degrees for you to take me seriously right. from schools that you think are real schools. And then you're going to engage me in a conversation where our forebearers who did not have formal education were put in the stupid box right out of the, right, right out of the gate. So, okay, yes. you live that way because you're dumb and ignorant. But we're not dumb and we're not ignorant by your standards because we have the same degrees you do. So what's your argument now, A? And B, we can see through you because you're bullying when you bullied our ancestors, they put their head down and looked at their shoes because you played the I'm better than you card. And they didn't, they didn't know they were as good as you, so they just put their eyes down and kept their mouth shut. We know we're as good as you. We don't put our eyes down. We look through you, and we see that you're a heck of a lot more messed up than we are. Wow. Amen, Pat. Amen. I think what, Pat, what you're saying is so brilliant. Um, and really, what you're also saying is – we have the, the capacity for reclamation. We have the ability to reclaim those things that our ancestors were shunned or embarrassed to let go of. Yeah. Well, they felt pressured. That's what I mean. Yes, pressured, shamed. I got to move to suburbia because I want to put my kid in a better school district. I want my kid around, quote unquote, better people. If I stay in this neighborhood, my kid's never going to get far in life. They're never going to excel in school. They're going to get in with the wrong crowd. Yeah, sure. We, yeah, absolutely. And I, I, but you know, there's so much of people who walked away from being Italian was because they thought in the long run, they were bettering the economic possibilities for their kid. Yeah, of course. It's an interesting dichotomy because essentially that same go out and define yourself mentality that we're talking about is dangerous is the one that nowadays has afforded us the opportunity to say, well, we did what you said, mm. and here we are, and we still believe this. And now, when you're examining all these new things that you think you might want to be, why not examine what you have been for millennia? That, that, that's a valid option. Exa that's exactly it. That's exactly yeah. it. That's the whole point of the show. Why not re-examine what you have been all along? Yeah. So this is actually kind of interesting. So when I was growing up, my parents were both from the same town, but met in America at a, grad, a college graduation party. And like my dad was supposed to like meet some other chick, but he met my mother <laughs> and they ended up getting together. And uh, a few years later, my father ended up working for Telecom Italia. And I didn't realize until many years later that my father had the option to move to Italy with my mother and work at the Italy office. And, you know, in that moment, when I realized that my brother and I could have been born in Italy and lived in Italy and stuff, and, and um, I asked my father why he didn't, and he said, what would have become of you guys? Wow. You know, what opportunities mm. were, would you have had? And through the lens of, you know, a, a veto, you know, from Mola di Bari, I think it, it was interesting to me that he didn't even view living in Rome as as a as enough of an uh, of an upwardly mobile move on his part he felt that as a father with the opportunity to live and work in america 
that he was going to do that. And then, so, so we did do that. And he had two children. I'm like the most Italian American pride (laughs) (laughs) ever. And my brother, when my brother was applying to the university of Pennsylvania or wherever the hell he, he eventually went there. But when he was applying to college, my brother, who is, you know, very detached from our culture, from our heritage, my brother did not want to put on his college application that he was Catholic. Wow. Wow. And my parents, my entire family has been somewhat, you know, diet Catholic our entire lives. <laughs> we got, you know, I was only confirmed right before I got married, but I, I do maintain a, a very deep spirituality, you know, living with my grandmother. My grandmother went to church every Sunday until she couldn't walk anymore you know, and uh, taught me to say my prayers in Italian and all these, and all these, you know, spiritual things that I, I consider myself a very spiritual person, even if I don't make it to church every Sunday. But my brother would not identify as a Catholic, as like an Italian cat. I felt like that was this big moment of defiance. Yeah. My father had a big problem with it. My father, who probably hasn't gone to church since he got married, I totally get everything you're saying. I had, I, I, we were the similar when it came to, to church and Catholicism. I, I totally get it, but you're still Catholic. But this moment, <laughs> yes, I'm still, but this moment made me realize you left Italy, you know, and this happened to one of us, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And I wonder if when he made that call, when he made that decision, did he anticipate anything like this? Probably not something he could have imagined. Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting to see how no matter where we are, especially now in the global world, this is an entire generation of people facing what our immigrant ancestors, be they your parents, grandparents, great-grandparents, faced, which is like you're talking about the decision you make, it impacts you, it impacts what you can be in your world around you, how you define yourself, and it's going to impact the next generations of your family for many, many generations. And I think it's really admirable, Dolores, and you know we've been talking about this concept from the earliest point that you started piloting this thing. You know, I've always been a big fan and big proponent of what you're doing, and uh, a great believer in not only its value as entertainment and education, but really as its holistic value for people. So, congratulations, Alguri, on uh, this new project. We hope that you're still going to be spending a lot of time here with us on the headsets uh, and until. But We're of back course. together again at the table. Yes, of course. For all of our worried audience out there, Dolores isn't going anywhere. No. This is not, it's not a true spinoff like a TV this show. Is, that's true. This is just a, an extension, I think, of the work that we started here, you know, five years ago. Yeah. And uh, before we go, just tell everybody how they can access the show. Yes. So the show is, you can find it where you find the Italian American podcast, you know, same places, iTunes, et cetera. You can visit my website if you want to learn more about the show. It's bellafigurapodcast.com. And as you've heard us talking about, I'm I'm very active on Instagram, <laughs> evidently. <laughs> follow you, Dolores. Yes. No, you can find me on Instagram. I'm um, at Dolores underscore Alfieri underscore Taranto. But if you get lost, you can just, you know, look at John or Pat or Rosella's profile or the IAP profile and I'm in there and uh, I'd <laughs> love to point see- in the right direction. Yes, exactly. Rosella point you in the right direction. So um, I'm grateful to all the listeners who, you know, who are new listeners and, and all the listeners who've been with us from the beginning. And I just want to reiterate that it's your energy and your interests and your passion 
that have gotten me to this place and have gotten this show uh, to where it is, which is like actually happening. <laughs> and I just want to thank you all for that. This, this community has just given us so many gifts and uh, keeps giving. And I'm just so grateful to have you all and to be kind of moving this conversation in not a new direction, like in a, in a direction that's been around, but really pushing and engaging that direction in a deeper way. All right. So before we go, Pat and Rosella, I want a one word answer and really one word. (laughs) (laughs) That's good enough. If you guys were going to do a podcast on a non-Italian American topic, what might that topic be? First reaction. Makeup. 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 I like that. Pat? Probably a Catholicism one. Yeah. That yeah. makes sense. What, what the audience doesn't know is I've been trying to get them to do a Catholicism one for two <laughs> years, but that's a whole other story. I'm, I'm going to change my answer to uh, aesthetic procedures. <laughs> you know, my wife said something about that. I Love think that. you two could do that show. Yeah. Yeah, we have to do it like with like a voice changer, though. <laughs> 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 the, the subjects in this podcast have not tested on themselves. <laughs> We're asking for a friend. <laughs> that's good. Beauty for a friend. That's really funny. That's a good title. Uh, that's really good. Well, I think this is a fantastic endeavor. And John, what about you? What would, what would your one word podcast, not Italian podcast be? Well, I'm working on one as you guys all know, on a topic <laughs> very near and dear to my heart. So I don't want to say yet, but, okay. um, but let's say in a very broad terms, it's, it's a history show. So that's what I like. Yeah, I don't want one. a job, so I'm not working on one. <laughs> yeah, that's right. No, I know you don't have any more jobs. I know. That there's, that's, a whole other, that's a whole other episode. Why do we keep taking on more jobs? <laughs> yeah, that's it. Why am I doing this? For that. That's, a, <laughs> that's yeah. a real question. I mean that we are all the hardest work in Italian nerds and show business. <laughs> <laughs> what a title. What a title. <laughs> well, Dolores, I could not be happier for you. This is awesome. I can't wait to listen. And uh, your whole IAP family is excited and here for you. So thank you guys for listening to the Italian American podcast. And we look forward to hearing your thoughts and reactions on La Bella Figura. It's a great Italian name, great Italian lady, and you're going to enjoy it a lot. So from all of us at the IAP... Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. You have got the world on a plate. So see that you're born in Italiano, and your life will be great. See that you're born in Italian, if you want your life to be great. See that you're born in Italiano and your life will be great. See that you're born in Italiano and your life will be great.